Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. I tell you, what a blessing, what a great event to have, and uh, so fun to be able to do it for our community. And what I loved is the event looked like our community. And just the diversity of who we are was there, and it was such a blessing. And, you know, on that evening, as I got a chance just to kind of walk around uh, during that night, the Lord really confirmed something in my heart, and it was simply this. He says, you're beginning to see the fruit for the seeds that you've been planting. And, you know, over the years, we as a church, we have planted a lot of seeds in our community. And I think about things that we've done, our City Reach Saturdays that we do, our Spooktacular, partnering with Strategic 64 organizations around our community that's there. We host the, the police and the fire departments, um, graduations at our church for free, and after-school programs. And we can go on and on. City Reach Sunday, if you remember, we took a Sunday here in this fall, and we spent the whole Sunday at some of our lower-resource schools here in, the, in our community. And those are the schools, 10 of them, that passed out the invitation for folks to come to this Princess King Ball. And here's what was amazing, too, is that they came. Not just they, but men came and brought their daughters. Think about that for a second. That they took the risk that they felt safe, that they had the courage to come and bring their daughters and as a man into, into a church. What a blessing. And we know why that's so important for us to invest in our community, and I love that we're investing in men. Statistics show this, that if a father comes to know Christ first, 93% of the time his entire family will. If a father engages in church, his kids are 10 times more likely to stay engaged in church. So I love what we do for our community, and I love what we do for our city, and I love what we do for fathers and men. So thanks for being a part of that. These are all what things where we build bridges, right? We strengthen these relationships, and the ultimate goal is that we create fertile soil for the gospel to take root. That's what we see in the book of Acts in our series, right? Acts 2, verse 47. Praising God, and here, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who we're being saved. And the great part is 2,000 years later, God is still using the local church with all of our flaws to be a light in the, into our darkness and a light into our community, and we are so blessed to that. And you are part of that movement 2,000 years later. Well, this morning, we're concluding our first part of part one of our, our study on the book of Acts. And in this last five weeks, we've tried to look at Acts in relationship to what it meant to the local church. And then this summer, we're going to pick up part two of the series, really talk about the acts of the apostles and stories of great men and women of faith and the impact they had at the early church in the book of Acts, but that's going to be this summer. So let me quick catch us up, get us back context. Key verse in the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The power promise, right, in the plan of the Holy Spirit, this book of Acts, that he dwells the heart of the believers, that you and I would be his witness, not only in our homes, in our Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. So this early church, as it gets started, right, it's unified, God's being glorified, and God's multiplying what's happening. We started five weeks ago with 150 people who met in an upper room, and in one day, 3,000 came to know Christ, and we're going to see here the church is going to continue to grow, but as it grows in its influence, here's what we're going to see again, it also grows in opposition, and things that come against the church begins to rise. Acts chapter 4, let me catch you up before we head to chapter 5 for today. 
And as they were speaking to the people, the apostles that were there, right, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Pretty remarkable. We see this little phrase, we're going to look at it today, it's found in Genesis chapter 50. Joseph is the one that first said it, and he simply said these words, what the enemy meant for evil, God intended for good. And in Acts chapter 4, persecution comes to the church, and the enemy desires to crush the church. He says, oh man, if I can just beat down these believers, they'll lose faith quick. They'll give in. They're, they're, there's not grit there. The amazing thing, what the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. And we see at chapter 4, this little group that started with three, 150 grew to 3,150. And by the end of chapter 4, what does it say? There was over 5,000 because what the enemy meant for evil, God intended for good. And that's what we're going to see today. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me to the book of Acts chapter 5. If you got your phones and you're new here to Lex City, if you go to lexcity.info, all the sermon notes are there. Everything that's happening at our church, you can catch up all there at lexcity.info. Acts chapter 5, let me slide up to verse 25 and put our context for today. And someone came and told him, look, the men whom you put in prison, right, are standing in the temple and preaching to the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them. But not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. A movement's happening, so we have to be a little more tricky about how we're going to bring these men. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they sent them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are, filled Jerusalem with your teachings, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than than men. He says, listen, we brought you in. This pre it's spreading. Word is getting in Jerusalem. You've got to stop preaching this idea that Jesus is the resurrected Messiah. And then the apostles, I love this, like, look, I don't obey you. I obey God rather than men. And as the crowd gets a little bit worked up, one of the Pharisees, and get a chance this week, read Acts 5. It's really amazing. says, I want to give you to his fellow teachers and, and religiously, I want to give you a warning. <laughs> We've seen this play out. We have tried to persecute the church, and he names names of people they have either imprisoned or, or, uh, or killed, and then all of a sudden the numbers grew. And so he gives them this warning. He says, man, let's just be careful what we do with these men. Look what he says in, in verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, this is one of the Pharisees speaking, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them. And you might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Think about what he's saying. This is the religious leaders of the day saying to him, listen, this movement of God, we can't stop it. If it's of God, we have tried. It just keeps multiplying. It's growing. Its impact is greater and greater. And if what these men are preaching is really true, then we have killed the Messiah. This Jesus really was who he says that he was, and he's doing the things that he said he, he's going to do. And so we have this defining moment in Acts chapter 5 where the religious leaders of the Jewish people have to make a decision. Either we repent and acknowledge our sin, and we embrace this thing called the church, 
or we allow our hearts to harden and we persecute this church because it's a threat to our organized religion. Well, what do you think happens? Let's go on to verse, verse 40. And when they had called the apostles, their hearts hardened, they beat them and charged them to not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. These are the apostles. They were rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And the movement goes. And the movement grows. But a funny thing happens. In, in, in all, a movement over time begins to mature, right? And a church plant, which starts with this exciting movement, all of a sudden becomes an established church organization as it hums. And what becomes really simple at the beginning becomes more complex. Many of you have had that happen in your business. And other, it started so easy. And the more success you had, the more complicated. And here's the challenge that happens, is that the vision and mission begin to get lost in the urgency of the moment, in other words, more, more bigger, more problems, right? And these problems became the thing that took the focus of the apostles at this time. So verse, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, Luke again gives us all the details. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in numbers, a complaint, shocker, by the Hellenists arose amongst the Hebrews because of their widows, were not, they were being neglected in the daily distribution. It grows in complexity, right? Even in the early church... Uh, I'll give you a little side trivia here. There's already a, a chism. There's a split. There's two sets of Jews. They were both Jews. Some were the Jews who lived in Jerusalem who spoke Hebrew. And if you remember, uh, through our study in the weeks before, these were Jews that were coming from all over the region. Some of these Jews lived amongst the Gentiles, and they spoke Greek. They were the ones known as the Hellenists. And these are the group that's complaining to saying to the Jews who speak Hebrew, listen, you're taking care of everybody but not our widows. You're showing favoritism here. They're getting neglected. They're getting missed out. And so the solution, verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to do what? To serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from amongst you seven men of good refute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So seven people collected out of the group to say, these are the men that are going to help serve. These are men that were full of the spirit, it says, and full of wisdom. It's what we would call today modern-day deacons, if you're familiar with that kind of a concept. This is where it all originates. And one of these seven, who's going to be the kind of the theme of our story today, is a man named Stephen. And today we're going to see again the power, right, of, of a servant's heart. We're going to be reminded today that there are no unseen roles in the kingdom of God. And I think for us in 2023, it's a great lesson, a great reminder, right? In a celebrity-driven church culture, if we're not careful, we need to be reminded who God values and what God values in the value of servanthood that we see. The role of pastors, apostles, right? Very important role. I mean, what I get to do is, is an amazing privilege, great eternal rewards, but great accountability that comes with that. And the calling is amazing, but listen... Not everything rises and falls on what happens here on the stage. This isn't the whole thing. All the way back from the beginning, can I remind you, there is power in the pews. And that's what Acts is continuing to teach us and who God's going to use in there. So Stephen, how do we know Stephen? What did he do? Stephen served tables. I mean, his bio, if you went to their webpage, 
uh, you, you won't find Stephen's bio there, right? He, he's not on any of the billboards that were around. I mean, Stephen was the guy who works nursery second hour. And he's out in the parking lot team when it's raining and nobody seems to be able to make it on those days, right? He runs a camera behind the scenes that he goes. He serves in our recovery group leaders on Thursday nights. Stephen's the man who prayers, prays with the intercessory prayer groups that meet in back rooms in our churches that you, our church that you don't even know where they are on Sunday mornings. Stephen, what does it say? He waited on tables. There's value and honor and humble service. So Stephen starts there, and God, as he does so many times, elevates and honors those who serve in great humility. And so in chapter 7, as we keep rolling through the book, we're going to see Stephen rises to a point of influence that he is now preaching and teaching, and he's going to preach a message to the religious leaders of the day, and it's going to be harsh. Uh, It's a harsh rebuke, and uh, this would never fly today in quite the same way, but I love it. Acts chapter 7, here's his his sermon. Verse 51 starts this, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. I love that. That's my new thing. You uncircumcised heart and ear, stiff-necked people. He's going. All right. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels do not even bother to keep it. Can you imagine? Harsh words. How do they respond? Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he was full of the Holy Spirit and gazed into heaven. And as he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see heavens open and the sons of man standing at the right hand of God. The group, they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll see more of that this summer. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And the first martyr of this thing called the church, think about this. The first martyr was a man who served tables. It wasn't an apostle. It wasn't a prophet. It was a servant. And Luke records at the moment when Stephen passes from this earth to heaven, Stephen makes two references on the posture of Jesus. If you look back, what was it? Most of the time when we see Jesus at the right hand of the Father, what do we know it as? Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. And two times Luke reminds us that Jesus stood at the right hand of the Father, welcoming in Stephen. Think about that. The man who served tables in humble service is the man that Jesus stood at the right hand of the Father and welcomed in. That was an honor that was never, it wasn't given to Luke, it wasn't given to Paul, it wasn't even given to Moses. <laughs> See, there's no task too small, there's no job too menial, 
that God can't be glorified in the midst of it. So when you serve, just be reminded that God sees all things, God knows all things, and God rewards all things in those moments. In the local church, man, there is no ministry that's too small for the glory of God. Flex City, in our week, it takes about 150 volunteers to make what we do every week together happen. And God is honored by every single one of those acts of worship through service. And even though everybody else doesn't see it, God sees it. Because he honors those who serve tables. And in the greatest honor of all, he stood to welcome Stephen in. It's an amazing man. Stephen, in the moments that he's literally being crushed to death by the stones that are thrown at him, breathes his last breath, and in that moment, again, reflects the heart of God, and really we get a heart even of what Jesus did on the cross. At that moment of his last breath, he extends grace and mercy to those that would take his life. And in that moment, the enemy thought the victory has been won. The movement has been silenced, right? The proclamation of the gospel is dead and gone. But what we know is that God uses tragedy and God uses pain so many times to fulfill his purpose and his plan. And the gospel, we know, because there's a promise, a power, and a purpose in Acts 1.8, is going to move from Jerusalem to where? Judea and Samaria. Go back to chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men, buried Stephen, and made great lamentations over him. What the enemy meant for evil, God intended for his good. And tragedy and persecution, here's the book of Acts, it spreads the gospel, and it spreads the church like never before. Because without this moment, I think they would have been just like us. The church would have gotten comfortable in Jerusalem. Content, this is easy. I know which pew I sit in. I sit in the same little bench every week. I know where my camel's supposed to get parked. I know what coffee I like when I come in. It's just easy, and it's comfortable. And if we weren't careful, I think the gospel would have become stagnated in that moment, and it never would have left Jerusalem. But big thought for today. What the enemy meant for evil, God turns into his good for his sovereign plan, fulfilling what God has going on. You know, as I think about that idea, I was thinking this week about that, and I was reminded about, for me, I think one of the great heroes of the faith uh, who was alive in my lifetime. Some of you that are a little older, you may know this name as I, Johnny Erickson Tata. Remember the story of Johnny? If you're younger, you may not be familiar with her story. At age 17, this bright, amazing little gal uh, was in a swimming accident in which she dove, broke her neck, was paralyzed from the neck down, and it seemed like at this moment life had ended, Right? There's no value. There's no purpose. I'm going to spend the rest of my life either in a bed or possibly in a wheelchair. Her light seemed to be extinguished. But what the enemy means for evil, 
God sometimes intends for his good and his plan. And seven years after that accident, uh, you may not understand now how significant it was back then, but seven years later, she appears on the Today Show, which back in the day was a pretty big deal, to share a little bit about her story about her trust in God, even in the midst of this tragedy that comes. Two years after the show that's there, she writes her autobiography, becomes a number one international seller, uh, translated into 38 languages. Over 5 million books were sold back in the day. A few years after that, she makes a movie called Johnny, and it was a movie I, as a child, I remember going and seeing, and the impact of her story was pretty significant. And that movie gets shared around the world, and 250,000 people place their faith in Jesus Christ based upon her story and what she goes. She goes on to start a national ministry called Johnny and Friends, in which she helps disabled people literally all around the world. She's met with most of the presidents during her lifetime. She's been appointed to councils that's there. She speaks internationally. In Ghana, just alone, Johnny and Friends has now provided over 100,000 wheelchairs to those who are folks in need. And for 50 years, she's hard to believe those, she's 73 now, uh, for 50 years she's walked with Jesus with this story that said some things in my life that the enemy intended for evil have now been a platform for his good in my life. And so she makes this statement, and the power of the statement is the power of her life, and she says this. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. See, God hated to see the church persecuted, but he loves to see people get saved all around the world, right? John 3.16, for God so loved what? Not just Jerusalem. For God so loved the world. So he allowed his faithful servant Stephen to be stoned so that the early church would scatter that it would move out of its comfort zone, that it would not be content and complacent, that they would understand this message is for the whole world. So the question for you today is simply this, how about, how about in your life, right? How is God using hardship for his glory and for your good? What is the thing this year as you've started this year that's just, ugh, it's yucky, it's heavy, it's dark, it's hopeless, What does God want to do with that in your life? Let me brag on, on somebody I can brag on. Let me just brag on one of y'all that's so great, some of our very own. Uh, I think Will's, where's Will Robinson? Oh, there, okay. Brother, I hate to embarrass you in front of everybody, but man, you're, you're my hero in so many ways. Will in the back. Now, if you know Will's story, you shared it before. Man, this has been, I, I cannot even imagine the struggle, the physical challenges they've gone through, the fan, it's not ending, There's, it's just ongoing. And uh, if anybody should be angry and bitter and full of self-pity, it's my brother Will. And so he's been hospitalized for a period of time here early in December, and so I got a chance to go uh, to visit him. To, oh, I'll just be an encouragement, you know, like I'm gonna be an encouragement. So I'm going to be this encouragement, and you know how it is. By the time you're done, if you're spending time, well, you're more encouraged with, from Will than, than you can ever encourage him. And in the midst of this, in a place that lacks a lot of hope and things are pretty dark, our brother's just sitting there and shares his great little parts of just hadn't been easy, hasn't been without bad days, hasn't, all that's reality. But how God's been faithful, 
how he's been sharing his faith with his nurses. He's been there long enough. Multiple people have come in and out of his room. You know, he's got his own little place there, and they all come in. Shares a little bit of a story how he's developed this relationship with his physical therapist, and they're having spiritual conversations. And I'm like, oh, this is incredible. Just hope, right, in the midst of hopelessness. And he's going on. It's just such an encouraging time. So we finish up there. It's a little before Christmas. Well, our Christmas show comes around. And all of a sudden, the doors open up, and here comes Will getting rolled into the, he's like supposed to be in the hospital, he's getting rolled into the Christmas show, and who's pushing him? His physical therapist, hello, uh, that he's had a relationship with, is pushing him in to see the Christmas show. Here's what I'm reminded, listen. Man, the enemy better hope our brother never gets put back in a hospital again, because he's an evangelistic machine. I'm telling you, he, he brings hope and encouragement to a place where there isn't any. It's these nurses who just go through days and it's just the same old. Man, he's a reflection of Jesus. And it just inspires my heart. So, brother, I appreciate you. But that's the story, right? What the enemy intended for evil that God uses for good. So what's your story? What's your testimony? You're writing the next chapter of your life. Your kids are watching. Your grandkids are watching. So what's your story? What will you write and what will you say? Where will you show hope? Where will you reflect Jesus? Where do you need today in 2023 to have an axe perspective of a bigger picture, right? That God never wastes your pain. God never wastes your loneliness. God doesn't waste your discouragement. Where do you need to find purpose in the midst of that pain? And where do you need to see his plan? In a moment, today as we close out our time, we're, we're gonna take communion together. And it's this wonderful time, right, of remembrance, of reflection of what Jesus did, that what the enemy meant for evil, when Jesus' body was broken on our behalf, when his blood was shed that we might have forgiveness of sin. It's in that moment that the enemy thought I had won. Good Friday night and into that Saturday. And when the forces of evil and the prince of darkness felt that they had won, that our Messiah was beaten, that our Messiah was broken, a few hours later, that he would breathe his last on the cross, and all hope seemed lost. <laughs> but he forgot that what the enemy meant for evil, that God uses for our good. For he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.